Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. Welcome back to When Autumn Comes. Guys, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe I am back to doing an intro and editing an episode. I, I have to admit I did edit it just a tiny bit, Diane and Anne. Just a tiny bit, because one of you was playing with a fidget spinner thing, and <laughs> it bothered the crap out of me, even though I promised that this episode would be unedited. Today, we have a guest named Anne joining us. Anne is a second-time guest. The first time she was here, she was talking about her adorable son, Parker, and her postpartum depression and anxiety. Today, she is here as a bereavement coordinator and chaplain to kind of talk about grief. And I know, before you roll your eyes and say, oh my gosh, she's still talking about grief, that's the point. The point is, is that we're all grieving something. We're grieving the lives that we are living that weren't what we expected. We're grieving, I don't know, if you really wanted that white picket fence and 2.5 kids and the really green yard with no weeds in it. I, I guarantee you have weeds and I'm guaranteeing that you grieve that from time to time. Today we're talking about grief, partially because my daughter died less than two months ago. We are also talking about how, like, you know, we should feel uncomfortable sometimes and how we should normalize talking about grief. It shouldn't be scary. It shouldn't be something that we avoid. There are so many things in our society right now that need to be normalized, and talking about grief and trauma is one of them. Grief is grief. It's different for everybody. So let's talk about it. Guys, welcome back to When Autumn Comes. This is the first real episode we've done in a wee bit of time, and I appreciate all of your grace and understanding as I have taken a summer vacation of sorts. It hasn't been a fun summer vacation, but it's been a break. Um, For those who are new here, since we have taken a break and we did get a handful of new followers over the summer... My name is Susan, and I am one of the co-hostesses of this podcast for medical and special needs or moms of disabled tiny humans or big humans. We've had adult parents on here, too. And Diane is here. She is my co-hostess. You want to say hi? Hey, guys. 
I was just to round out Susan, I want, we want to say a huge thank you. The outpouring of love and support, um, not only for the podcast, but just for us um, and our children and specifically Susan. Um, we just really appreciate it. We feel it. And, you know, we just really think that this hopefully is doing a lot of good. Yeah. So um, today we have a special guest, Anne, and repeat. I will let <laughs> she's a repeat <laughs> visitor. She's our first two time guest. Mm-hmm. Um, she's doing Ooh, a, she's raising the roof right now. Know. Like all oh, I do is yeah, win, win, win. <laughs> it's early this morning. We're raising the roof. <laughs> so Anne is here. Um, again, for those who may have missed the last couple episodes, um, my daughter, Lorelai passed away in July and that was my summer vacation joke, but we are going to continue with this podcast because we have received an outpouring of support saying how much it's made a difference. And even um, last night, I received a message from a new mom to the 4am mom club who said that her daughter has mitochondrial disease and um, things are not looking stellar at the current moment. But because she listened to my episode about Lorelai passing, she feels like she can face what's ahead. So today... We wanted to talk about grief. We have Anne. Anne, give them your title, please. Of course. So I have a very unique title, I think, um, in regard to knowing Lorelai and being a part of her life. So I am a chaplain. And in that sense, I was blessed to be able to journey with Lorelai and her family for her entire life. Um, Since then, I have transitioned into the role of bereavement coordinator and palliative care chaplain um, where I work. And, um, so I appreciate you all letting me be a part of this first podcast back because I was telling Susan particularly, I think it's, and I encouraged her, I said, I think it's very important for us to, um, talk about the raw grief that comes directly after it's often glazed over. I think I don't Mm -hmm. feel like people know what to do. I think um, I think there's a lot of assumptions that come with grief, and I think there's assumptions on my end as the mom who's like, okay, I should be feeling this, or I should be doing this. And then there's assumptions from the outsiders who are in the outside rings thinking, well, why isn't she doing this, or why is she doing that? Why why did she dye her hair pink? And why is she painting all of a sudden? Um, I, I have, I, what stage of grief am I at? I dyed my hair pink and I have started painting randomly. So I don't think there's a right or wrong, but I think this conversation today hopefully will bring someone comfort. And I will say, I, um, I have never been more anxious about an episode. And I think as I was getting ready today, which doesn't mean brushing my hair or my teeth, um, I was thinking about how I shared my kid's story on our first episode and I've shared so much and I've never felt anxious. But today I found in the last month, which by the way, this is recording one day shy of Lorelai 
one day shy of one month of Lorelai passing. But I found that little things can trigger me and big things can trigger me. And it doesn't have a rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be like, you have to have this really big conversation very publicly, which I'm doing by choice. Like, I want to help people through this. So, um, but this was kind of anxiety provoking. But then the fact that Benji has OT at the same exact time downstairs with grandma and I'm not able to help there was very anxiety provoking. Mm. So like it, it's, there's no rhyme or reason to what I'm going through right now. So Susan, I want to ask a question um, and, and maybe a statement too, because I feel like, well, I feel a lot of things, but I feel like there's a lot of expectations for grieving parents to either be all or nothing. So all sadness, all, um, all in a dark room, um, and or, you know, find the positive side. And I think what is important and what I want to kind of tease out a little bit from you, if you're able, is what you're talking about, which is your anxiety and how it ebbs and flows. Yeah. I I know in the past, we have talked about, um, in the past couple of weeks, we've talked about the differences between your feelings of joy, of feeling her spirit, um, but also that desert, empty feeling of not having her in your arms. Um, and then also the, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but also you, it is a different, I, a a different atmosphere taking care of Benji Mm. and then feeling a little bit lighter, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. So I, um, I will first tell everybody that my brain isn't working the way it normally worked. I think when you said like the all or nothing, like dark room or go, 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 like I am one month out. Um, I have realized I can do like two ish hours of brain work, meaning my job or this podcast or whatever. I can put two hours of quality brain activity together. See, I can't even get words out um, in the morning. And then I'm shot for the day, like mentally and physically shot for the day. So for me, it's not really an all or nothing. I have found that if I give myself grace and go, okay, you did one thing today or you did two things today, that that kind of helps me heal through the rest of the day. And I like, I, I can't just lay in bed because I have a medically complex son. Um, Benji is not nearly as medically complex as Lorelai though. Um, at least yet, this is a progressive disease. And I have struggled because I feel like I went from running a, trauma one pick you to now I'm just a charge nurse over the general peds floor and I'm directing people, you know, here's what we need to do for Benji. Okay, good. Go do OT. But Lorelai was so far progressed. I don't think I realized how much was going on because I was so active in keeping her alive. And protecting her. I, mm-hmm. um, 
And now Benji, I have to get to know him for who he is medically and personality wise. That's a great point. You know, like, does he really like Moana or has he just put up with it? Because that's what Lorelai liked. Um, would he like to watch cars? <laughs> like I for trying, sure would. I, I, there's just not enough singing in it. Um, oh, it's so good. But, you know, it's a matter of kind of figuring out where we go as a family now. But also keeping in mind, like, I personally, and I know I'm all over the place. I'm sorry, listeners. But I personally feel like, and this is my faith and my hippie side, I guess. Like, I feel like death didn't end my relationship with Lorelai. It just changed my relationship with Lorelai. I feel like she is still spiritually here. I feel like she is present all the time. I feel like she spent her entire life being nonverbal. So like her sending me nonverbal signs and cues and stuff now isn't really that, you know, far-fetched. I feel like that is one of the most beautiful things I've heard you say. I would agree. And like, I'm not kidding. I've never assumed, talking about assumption, I've never assumed that a parent one month out or for eight years out, I have no idea because I've never lost a child, but could ever maybe put a line in the sand between grief to see it clear that like my relationship just changed with my child. It's just different and not allow that grief to just completely overwhelm you. I mean, I would still cut off my right arm with a dull butter knife if I could lay in bed with Lorelai for five seconds. Absolutely. But that's physical. And I just, I miss her smell and I miss her touch and I miss her mama, dada, mama, dada. I miss all of that, but I also, I just feel like she's still here in some way, shape or form. Um, Whether that be like everybody who's followed knows that Lorelai has been sending us all hummingbirds. Like there was a hummingbird in Norway. They don't even have hummingbirds in Norway. Like there was a hummingbird outside my window this morning. I've lived here for three years. Never saw one. We don't have feeders. And it was right before we were starting to record our very first podcast back. Came right up to my window as I'm like staring outside. While you were pooping. Yeah. <laughs> you totally wanted me to put that in there, right? Um, we gotta, we gotta I, say okay. the truth. Okay, can I um, talk to you? We don't have a window in that bathroom. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. It's not. Are you going to edit that can we, out? Can we make a... No, we're not editing. Um, <laughs> my brain power is not strong enough to edit. Can I we agree. make don't a point, edit. though, about um, people don't understand my dark humor, <laughs> especially like when it comes to the fact that my child just died. Um you have to have humor to move forward sometimes. I mean, again, it goes back to how people cope. I was telling you guys before we started recording that I hear it all the time. People have expectations for people grieving. They have goals that they want them to meet, whether themselves or their family members. Um, you should do this. You should do that. You know what? As you said, Susan, and I think, Diane, you mentioned it too. 
it's really technically none of their business if they're safe. Like, yeah, if they're safe, I think that's the big thing to note for listeners. As long as, as long as 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 you have support and you're safe and the people around you are safe and and your other children are safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the reality too is what works for one person is not going to work for another and it's not even working. It's making it through. And so if dark humor is how you make it through, you know, working in grief and bereavement, I also have dark humor. Um, Sometimes I um, joke that I should put on my license plate, like angel of death or so something crazy, like um, kill them with love. Um, (laughs) I mean, you have to have that kind of humor. Yeah. Um, Can I go back to what we were talking about? a little bit ago, Susan, and you were, let's see, what were you saying? We were talking about the the change in relationship. Yeah. I wanted to ask questions that other people, outsiders are really curious about. So please Mm -hmm. forgive me if these may sting a little bit, but I work with people all day. I get the question. Oh my gosh. I've been thinking about your friend. How is she? Or some people question, well, do you think it was like, how did it change knowing her knowing five years ago that this was going to come as opposed to losing a child unexpectedly? And maybe, and you can speak to this. Is there a difference or can there be a dip, a big difference, noticeable difference for some people or the majority of your patients or families that they lose a child unexpectedly or how they tend to grieve differently if Like in Susan's case, there was so much weight to the disease, right? I know, Susan, you have said when she passed, I felt like I could breathe again, but I also felt like I couldn't for a very different reason. Mm -hmm. Um, How does that affect how one person grieves than the other? I I mean, I can speak to my thought with this, and then, Anne, if you want to chime in. I've thought this through a lot. Like, how would I feel as a mom who lost her child in a car accident? Or how would I feel as a mom who lost her child to suicide? I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming five and a half years ago when they dropped the bomb on us. Um, I think a lot of people in our medical mom motherhood even if you don't have a diagnosis, in the back of your mind, you have that fear constantly of this could happen. I did feel some relief because I knew what my daughter was going through. That relief can sit with grief at the same exact time, though, mm-hmm. side by side, equal partners. Um, I have often thought, like, Would it be better or worse if it was quick or long? And Lorelai's passing was very, very quick as far as mitochondrial disease goes. And that was a blessing for me. Um, But it was also terrible because I didn't have more. Like I had literally we were admitted on a Monday morning at 1 a.m. And she was gone by Wednesday afternoon. And 
Like, I, I mean, going back to dark humor and jokes, like every ICU stay, I lose five pounds. It wasn't quick enough for me to lose any weight this time. Like this was the quickest ICU stay we have ever had. And it was not how things in my mind were going to go. So yes, I knew it was coming, but no, I didn't, if that makes any sense. But I can't imagine having like... Every time we were in the ICU, I just would sit there and look out our glass window and think, like, that person was living a normal life 12 hours ago. Like, I don't, and and now their child won't wake up. Um, And my heart breaks for all moms and dads who go through this. But I don't know. I don't think there is a better or worse. Just like I don't think there is a way to do grief. Um, and do you have things you want to add? Yeah, I would agree with what you said. I don't think that there, of course, there's always going to be different circumstances and there are going to be different factors in the life and death of a child um, that make it unique to each family. Um, I like, Diane, that you are asking the questions that people are afraid to ask Susan and or any other parents themselves, because here's here's what comes to my mind. If you're thinking it, no doubt that Susan and or another parent or family member who has lost a child has thought that, too. Um, and, and, and my initial reaction to those questions are if you don't know what to say. To say, I don't know what to say. Um, and then I think I love how you put it, Susan, that that they sit side by side sometimes. And and the relief and, and the despair, the, the, um, the sadness, um, but also just going back and forth and back and forth with your ups and downs, whatever those might be. Um, and I also love that we're not editing this version because... I think this is um, very appropriate conversation to have because your mind is not thinking on all cylinders right now. So why should we edit that out when this is a huge example of what you're going through right now? Mm-hmm. And I also would love for our listeners to be able to take this, right? Like, I think most of us want to know, I mean, we want to, we want to be inside your head. So a, we can sit next to you, B, because we're all kind of selfish, like, <laughs> we want to know what's going on, and um, C, because we want to feel like we're supporting you in an appropriate way. However, there are people on this that are listening that, that don't maybe know somebody that lost somebody, right? So I think this is grief on all levels. Like, take this and honor it with somebody that just got, is newly diagnosed, or is watching their friend not be able to get out of bed because their kid isn't doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing it. Right. So if people are listening and being like, I don't know if I can for sure relate to this because I I don't know somebody that's lost a child. Like, I think this can go on relatability to, you know, all of the things. And I think too, I had a conversation a couple of days after Lorelai passed with um, one of the care coordinators and this is going to come off sounding very snarky of me. So I apologize, but I said to her, people have come out in masses 
in masses to support us. I, our mailman knows something's up because we have literally letter, dead kid letters flow, flowing out of the mailbox. People have come out of the woodwork. But where were they the last five years when I was drowning? Like, they were there when we were in the NICU. And they were there when Lorelai was in the ICU. But where were people the last five and a half years when I was literally drowning in my house to keep her alive? And the lady said something to me that just really stuck. And it was... um There's no script for sick kid. There's no script for living a life as a mom who is taking care of a medically complex child. There is a script for death. There is a script for hospital stays. You show up, you bring chicken. And if you can't bring chicken, you bring Chick-fil-A gift cards. Like there's a script for that. Don't forget the waffle fries. The waffle fries in the ketchup. Um, Excessive (laughs) amounts of ketchup. But... There's no script for the in-between, the in-between. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying I don't need people now because I do need people now. And I'm not saying I'm ungrateful for the people that have stepped up because mm-hmm. like I said before, I was so much on fight or flight mode that like that adrenaline kept me going. But right now I'm not on fight or flight mode. I am in get two projects done mode and then like watch Netflix the rest of the day, which by the way, I watched all of Virgin River in like two days. So I just think if you are listening and you are a newly diagnosed family, you are not a newly diagnosed family, or you know someone who has a medical child or a parent of a disabled kiddo, like I encourage you to like step out to those families and love on them even when they're not in the ICU Mm -hmm. because it's hard. It's so, so hard. And, you know, losing Lorelai is hard, but I, I, part of me wants to say that the last five and a half years were harder because I was watching my child suffer. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think for some people it's hard. Sorry, Susan. No. Um, I, I was just going to, I I think what you're saying is so key because I feel like people don't want to be in that place with you in those five and a half years. And they can be pretty, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this to be mean, but most people can say surface level words of comfort at death. Um, and that's expected. Um, but what about being in the, under the water when you're drowning? Like people don't feel comfortable with that. Well, and they don't know what to say. I I will flat out say whether it is in the in-between time or the death time, people don't know what to say. And I have found some of the most comforting things that I have gotten or messages I've received. I got a card from my friend Katie and it said, like whatever the card said, it said in her handwriting, it said, cards won't make this better, but I'm sending you one anyway. Love you. Like, I mean, like, no one knows what to say. Um, I had, when we got our diagnosis, I had a friend, Steve, who called and left me a voicemail and said, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know. I don't have words that can make this better, but I just want you to know I'm here. I would rather somebody say something like that than, like, she's in a better place. Or, you know, at least she's not in pain anymore. 
or I, God picked you because he knew you could handle it. What I hear with that, again, I, I think two things can sit side by side. What you're saying, Diane, together at the same time without blending the two. I can hear that message and I can hear, yes, God picked me. I know God picked me because I was a badass mom who got this kid from A to B where she needed to be. However, I also hear, well, why did God pick me to kill my kid? Like, why did God take my child? And why didn't God pick you? Why didn't you get the sick kid? Mm-hmm. So I think it. I think it's definitely. Um, I'd rather somebody just hand me my Chick Fil A gift card and be like, "I'm here. Mm-hmm. Go get a milkshake and, and mean it, right? Like yeah. sit with you in that space instead of just saying, "I'm here," and then not really. Really also, getting. I don't need any more Chick-fil-A gift cards. I'm just using that as an example. I have at least $200 in Chick-fil-A gift They're cards like right sponsor now. sponsor you for the next year. And you're like, ugh. Um, and I know that you sit with people. This is what you do for a living. I have had three friends lose kids. And speaking on behalf of all of those people that don't know what to say, or not on behalf of them, but I guess to them, you guys, it is uncomfortable. Yes. It is a hard, Susan is going through something incredibly hard. It's also, I'm going to acknowledge really uncomfortable and I get it, but listen to what she is saying because every single person I feel like that has lost somebody says the exact same thing. Yes. And I feel like it's our duty to walk next to them, right? Like Susan went through five years of this heavy heavy thing. And I think because of her faith in God, she was, she knows that like it was her cross to carry. That's what she did. And whether people showed up or not, she got up every day and she took care of Lorelai and it was her cross to carry. This is something minuscule that we can do walking next to somebody that is going through something that does make us really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that it hasn't been for me. I don't, I, I now have a child that is six weeks younger than Lorelai was with a similar disease that is progressing, that is healthy. Um, they looked like twins. Like I can sit back and say, man, what's my role in this? Like, does this make her uncomfortable? Like, will this affect her? Will this make her sad? But that gives me no right as a person to pull away. I feel like that would be selfish on my part. So we need to also take ownership and like grieve alongside with these people and say those, like, I don't know what to say to you. You just have to be honest with me. And I think you bring up a good point. It's called survivor's guilt, right? So as a special needs mom and or regardless, if you're just somebody who is wanting to journey with families who have, who have a special needs kid or who have a child that passed away, even if you can't be beside them, maybe walk behind them and follow their lead. Um, but the survivor's guilt is huge because a lot of other parents who might experience death in the future inevitably are all wondering the same thing. When is it going to be us? When is it going to be me? Can I talk about my child to Susan because she just lost her child? When do I know if it's too much or if it's too much? Mm -hmm. And, and I think there, again, (laughs) there is so much, differences. There are so many, excuse me, there are so many differences for each person. Follow their lead. Ask. Well, and I think, I think it's completely fair too, to say, can I talk to you about this? 
Yes. Just like I said to Janice when, and if you haven't listened to past episodes, Janice is a mom who lost her daughter, Juliet. She had the same type of FBXL4 mitochondrial disease that my kids have. And when Lorelai passed, I knew Janice was 10 months out from Lorelai's passing. And I said to her, can I talk to you about this? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fair question for anybody because I also like, I don't want my friendships to change. I don't want my relationships. I don't want my role on this podcast to change. And I've told both of you that right now I'm at a place where I'm struggling. Am I a bereaved mom? Am I a mom? Am I a mom of medical, of a medical kid? Am I like Benji's medical needs are so minimal compared to Lorelai's were? Am I even a medical mom? Like, I mean, I am. If you put him next to his peers, kids got tons of issues. But I like, you know, yeah. I'm so how do you to answer find... that question too? Like, how many children do you have? Well, you have two. One of I, them is in heaven and I absolutely I haven't been asked that yet, but I have thought about it's that coming. question and mm-hmm. I have absolutely decided I have two kids. And I think that my perspective, again, going back to Lorelai's physically not here, but spiritually I know she is. So like my relationship with my daughter, it's not gonna look the same, but I still have a relationship with her. Um, and I'm sure there are some people listening who think I am completely wackadoodle right now. But Diane's grimacing and frowning mm. at me right now. <laughs> I think it's like seriously one of the most beautiful things. I've never looked at it like that. And I I don't know. I think that can hopefully spring people forward out of despair to let's see what that looks like for me. You know, if they've lost a loved one, right? I think if you're open to receiving signs from the other side, if you're open to like when Lorelai, the day she was dying, I told her, I said, Lorelai, I need you to promise mama that you will send me signs every day. You will send me signs, doodle. You will, you can come as butterflies. You can come as hummingbirds. You can come as hearts or stars, but I need you to send me signs, doodle. And every day when I'm open to it, I see the signs. That was in our prayer too. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember uh, that. I um I don't know. I I think if you ask a mom though, I think if you ask a mom or anybody who's lost anybody, especially not to turn this into another conversation, but COVID numbers are going up and Delta is taking people who are healthy. Like Delta is affecting children now. And it scares the crap out of me because Benji, like it's, I cannot lose my other kid right now. And I'm terrified. But I think right now, so many people in the last year and a half have lost someone somehow. And I think instead of assuming that here's what you need to say or do, I think just asking them, what do you need? And I think being open to the fact that that person's going to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, because more times than not, I have said, I don't know. I can't tell you what I need right now because I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then that person will check back in in a a couple days. Or maybe not even check in, just give you some options, like one or two. So I found it helpful if somebody says, I don't know, to say, can I come sit on the porch with you? Can I come do your laundry? Mm -hmm. Do you want to go on a walk? Chick-fil-A or Starbucks? (sighs) Noted. 
<laughs> I also think throughout this entire conversation, all I keep coming back to coming back to is like sitting in the uncomfortable with the person, both sides. Right. And empathy and compassion. Like there's no journey for this. Um, there's no script like that woman told you. And I loved that because it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, and I think that extending that like compassion and that grace and just kind of sitting in that uncomfortable with that person when they don't know what they need, when they do know what they need, when maybe, and I'm not speaking about Susan, but I'm sure that other people have been lashed out at before, you know, and you're like, Oh my gosh, I thought I was doing the right thing. Um, like it really comes down to giving that person time. And, and I loved when you said, maybe not walk next to them, maybe just walk behind them and check in with them. And like just having those tough conversations, um, Susan, just because I'm asking all the questions that, you know, people ask me. Can I real quick, I want to say like, before we started, you were like, I'm going to ask all the questions people want to know. And we all talked quickly before. And I was like, I can't remember which one of you said it, but one of you said, I mean, it's not their business. It is. And then I stepped back and I said, but everybody wants to know, like, Everybody's at, like, I've always been an open book. Um, and I, I don't have a problem being an open book, but some people, it's just not other people's business. Mm -hmm. So please take Mm -hmm. this conversation and put it towards whatever person you want to know what their business is. But yeah, you know, like it's not your business. Your business is to be with that person. And, or if they don't want anybody to, mm -hmm. to step back and say, well, I hear that. Yep. And I'll give you space. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's not their business that you want to know? Well, the, everyone, I, I, not everyone. I think some people try to assume kind of like the conversation we had over the phone, what the grief looks like. I mean, and I know you said I get out of bed because of Benji, but I can only imagine, you know, people are like, how is she not falling on the floor in a fetal position? How is she not doing this? if you're comfortable talking about it, I mean, what does that look like for you? I have been on the floor and I have been walking five miles around the neighborhood. Um, I, at this point we're a month out. So um, what a lot of people don't know is that I was potentially exposed to COVID at Lorelai's funeral party. And I spent the next seven ish days quarantine from Benji. And that was terrible for me. Um, the first couple days of it were devastating. I went to go to our guest room and I walked in. And if you remember a month and a half ago, a little less than a month and a half ago, I caught a head cold And I was quarantined to that guest room. I went into the guest room this time, potentially exposed to COVID, and I broke. I sat in there for about four hours, sobbing, not able to move, because the last time I slept in that room, I watched Netflix, and I tried to quarantine for my kids to protect them, and I rested, and I thought I had an ear infection, which was actually a head cold. I couldn't move 
to get out of that room. So I spent, eventually my husband came up and he's like, you got to stop. Like you, you got to come on downstairs. Like, and I told him no many times. And after four hours, I finally got up and went downstairs. Um, all I wanted to do was lay in my bed where Lorelai and I slept for the six months prior because that's where I felt closest to her. Um, but I couldn't because Benji still sleeps in like the sitting area of our room and I couldn't be around Benji or Mike. So I relocated to Lorelai's bedroom and the most uncomfortable hospital bed that we <laughs> Amazon Prime to mattress pad, trust me. She's currently her- saying, thanks, mom. No, she's like, I'm no fool. Why did you think I ended up in the king size bed? Like, she's like, no, I didn't want to sleep in there. Um, So I slept in Lorelai's room and I, um, the first two days were really hard. And then I kind of tried to reframe my mindset and say, like, this is a gift. This is time that you have right now to not be around Benji where you can rest and you can sleep and you can not get out of bed and not feel bad about it. Um, so I took a couple of those days to rest. And then the last few days of that quarantine period um, were crushing again because I just wanted to hold my children. And one of them I will never physically be able to hold again. And the other one, I couldn't. And I sat on the kitchen floor, 10 feet away from Benji, sobbing. And my husband said to me, it's not about you right now. It's about protecting Benji. And his words stung. Mm. But they were also 100% accurate because we have a second medical kid that I have to protect at all costs. And the mom, mom heart and me just, all I wanted to do was hold my son. Um, and in the middle of that, Anne texted me this little meme from the internet that, um, I don't even remember what it said, something about like, um, I can pull it up, but I, I, I'll, while I'm pulling it up, I, I think that that was a, again, one of the signs that you speak, that you speak about sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. um, like, I'm literally on the floor crying, sobbing, 10 feet from Benji, and my phone buzzes, and it's Anne. And it's two, um, like two thumbprints. fingerprints. Yeah. Two thumbprints, and it says, be kind to that bruised heart of yours. Its only crime was loving others more than itself. And then at the bottom, it's signed Lorelai. Now, this was found by me, not in relation to Susan or to her family, it popped up out of nowhere. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to send that and see if that means anything to her. Literally signed Lorelai and it's spelled the right way. (laughs) I mean, but the timing, like, I mean, that was doodle sending me what I needed to like, get your act together, mama. (laughs) Like, um, that wasn't a choice on the communication device, I don't think. No. <laughs> Goodbye, all done. Goodbye, all done. Goodbye, all done, Nan. Goodbye. I love you. Goodbye. Um, I, I then, I will say, I have been doing a lot better since I've been able to be around Benji again. 
um, since I've been able to say, Benji, give mama a hug and he'll mm-hmm. hug me. I've been able to like sleep a little bit better. I'm not sleeping still, but I'm sleeping a little bit better. I just, I needed to be with my child. Um, that, that separation after the trauma of losing her um, and the fear of, could I be sick? Like, could I have COVID? Like, what if I bring another d- disease or virus into this house? Like, I mean, I, I forever, I have said to everybody around me, if or when I get sick or Benji gets sick or anybody in my bubble gets sick, y'all need to be ready because my anxiety is going to go through the roof. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. I'm sorry. Also, I've been told stop apologizing. I'm a people mm-hmm. pleaser and um, I apologize a lot. Um, even more so now, I think. Um, but I also, our nurse, her um, her daughter lost her son at some point and she said, you and my daughter are so much alike. However, my daughter has flat out said when, she's like, but my daughter doesn't let people walk all over her like you do. And um, she was like, my daughter flat out said when her son passed, she didn't give two shits about what anybody else felt. And I've kept that in the back of my mind because I am a people pleaser and I am worried about how other people are doing. But in order to keep going, I have, I am very proud of myself for setting boundaries and being like, Hey, I know you're hurting right now because it like, I get it. I know you're hurting, but I can't take care of your feelings right now. Correct. You can't and you, and nor should you or anybody who interacts with you deflect their broken heart onto the grief that you're going through. And people are. That's very, and they do. Yeah, they and it's do. Very, it's very hard to not insert yourself into somebody else's grief unless you can step back and be aware of what you're going through and what Lorelai's death evokes in in you or somebody else and, and separate those feelings. Um, that takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a, again, it's jumping hard around. Work. All of it is hard work. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, we, going back to that message that you got from that woman about the podcast and how she's, you know, going to lose her child and it's, it's touched her in ways. When people speak about your situation, is there ever a time, like, I know that right now you're in a place, or yesterday you were in a place of, I am glad that my journey of motherhood and with Lorelai is doing good. Is there ever a day where you get angry, though, that you're like, don't tell me, like, I, wh- why me? Why do I have to be the one sacrificed and my child have to be the one sacrificed to do good in this world? So just for people listening, like, is that ever kind of something that can be hurtful? Um, I'm sure it is to some people, but specifically you, you know, are you happy when you hear, oh my gosh, this is making such a difference. Thank you for sharing. Or, or is that maybe an, it changes on the daily? I think, um, I think it's different for everybody. For me, 
from day one of getting our diagnosis, we said we want to do good. Mm -hmm. And from day one of her being in heaven, I continued to say, I want to do good. And I think that that is what has kept me going. Um, I mean, we had a blood drive the day after her funeral party and we potentially saved over a hundred lives based off of the people who showed up and donated blood just locally. Um, for me, it doesn't bother me. I am so grateful to hear that Lorelai is continuing to do good and that I am continuing to do good. Um, I do know like, and, and I can't speak for anybody else and I don't want to like, overspeak, but Michael, my husband and I have, um, we like try to do every couple day check-ins, like, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. No, really? Like, how are you doing? Um, he also like comes in and I'm like deep sobbing, curled up in Lorelai's weighted blanket, sniffing what's left of her. And, um, like, Hey, you want to hit? <laughs> um, but the other day he was like, does it still smell like her? I was like, Faintly, yeah. Like, don't unravel it because I think in the core of this weighted blanket, it probably really smells like her. That's like but, for um, three months from now. Yeah, no, we're 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 peeling it up like an onion. Um, <laughs> but he has expressed that he and I are grieving very differently. Um, he has waves of the sadness that I have all the time. Um. But he has moments of grief that present as anger. And he has moments of, I just want to punch something. Like, why did this happen to us? Why was this my kid? Like, why? And like, just anger. And I don't have that. And I don't know if I ever will. Because I don't, I mean, I'm not saying I won't. Because I don't know. Um. But it was perplexing to me that somebody would feel angry. And I'm not saying it's wrong or right. Um, I just think it's different. I don't feel angry, though. I think it's great that you two can talk about your differences in grief. Um, many, many couples, and I don't know the percentage, but many couples after the loss of a child either split or divorce and or um, enter into marriage counseling because they have a hard time recognizing how the others are how the other is coping. Um, and and I think of the movie Steel Magnolias um, when Malin is also so angry and she wants to punch somebody and then they put Weeza in front of her and say, "Here, punch her." I love that movie. So you can tell Mike. But if he wants to punch anybody, I will be his Weeza. <laughs> and he can I'll let I'll let him know. I don't think he, he will punch, punch you though. <laughs> I don't think Malin would have punched her either, but <laughs> um that those waves are important to verbalize because if you keep them bottled up, they're going to not do good. Mm -hmm. Which is what Lorelai that was her purpose, that is her purpose. Mm -hmm. Um and Again, thank you for being honest in this episode because there's a lot of scary, unknown, navigational 
um, waters that grief can bring up. And the more we talk about it, the more we quote unquote normalize this new normal. Um, I think the more supported we all can be when we encounter grief in whatever capacity that looks like. And I think um, to wrap up, I, I've had, like, you guys know, I'm a very visual person and you know that like, I like metaphors. (laughs) Um, but for me, I grew up at the beach, um, and grew up on the water and I've, I, I, I will be the first to admit, I don't know what the heck the stages of grief are. Um, I know that there's a flow chart or something, but I didn't Google it and I don't really want to know. Um, because for me, grief feels like I'm standing at the edge of the ocean. And you know when your feet start to sink in the sand as the waves come and go and you kind of feel stuck. And the waves are constantly coming in and they come around you and they you sink a little bit deeper and then you can step up a little bit and you see some little sand fiddlers going by. Um you see the bubbles in the sand next to you and then another wave comes in and you can kind of move through the muck a little bit. Some of the waves come in and they're just like light little waves around your ankles. Some of the waves come in and they almost knock you down, Mm. but there's constantly waves coming in and you're constantly sinking and feeling like you are in that spot. But you also know if you step out further, there are riptides that could pull you in a different direction than you expect. And you also know if you step back to the towards the the beach that like you can sit in the sun for a few minutes. And I also feel like when you stand at the edge of the ocean, you realize how tiny you are and how great and powerful everything around you can be. Um, for me, like <laughs> it sounds so terrible. For me, grief is just a day at the beach. Like I mean, <laughs> there's your dark humor. <laughs> I, I just. One of the most beautiful metaphors I've ever heard. Because there can be joy in all of this too. Yes. You can sit in the sun. You can put your feet in the water, but you know you're constantly there with your feet in the water. But you can appreciate the sun with your feet in the water. And you can appreciate floating. But you can also appreciate that there are riptides and sharks and stuff out there. Um, That's so true. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I guess Thank what gives me hope that. today, you, what gives me hope is now? a day at the beach. Um, like in this moment or like yeah, in I general? remember you were feeling very anxious before we started this. How do you feel now? I'm feeling okay. Um, again, I think for me, I constantly want to help other people. Um, and we're losing Diane's Wi-Fi. <laughs> I don't know. It's saying that you're in the red. Um, I I feel okay, though. I feel a little jittery because I just drank all of my coffee. Um, but I that is from Chick-fil-A. This episode was not sponsored or will never be sponsored <laughs> by Chick-fil-A. But I, if you have not had a vanilla iced coffee from Chick-fil-A, it's really good. Um, you're making a dent in that gift card there. I know, right? Um, yeah. But no, I'm feeling okay. I I think for me, talking about things helps when I'm open to talking about them. Um, When I don't want to talk, like, I mean, there are times when 
my people call and I just don't answer right now because mentally I can't get words out. But it does feel good to talk. And I hope that this episode helps people in some way, shape, or form. Well, I think... Thanks for being here, Anne. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Thank thank you so much for allowing me to be um, next to you and behind you and in front of you in whatever ways you need me to be. Um, It also, and I know that we're trying to wrap up, but I will say from the perspective of somebody trying to support a family who has just lost a loved one. It's also um, meaningful to me to continue to remember Lorelai and do something in her honor. Um, And I recognize that that's my need too. Um, But thank you for allowing me to journey in this unknown territory with you. And I know we're trying to wrap up, but is there anything that from your perspective Um, if moms are listening who have lost Mm -hmm. their children, is there a a resource that like hospitals, like could moms reach out to your department? Could moms like what, what should moms do who are going through this, who don't maybe have a support system? Like, like the three of you, well, I think your department's bigger than three, but I know the three of you very well. And Um, is there, what do people do? So I know that we have listeners from all over. Mm -hmm. Um, and the most important thing is to find, to find somebody, um, safe that they trust that is able to advocate with them Mm -hmm. and for them, whether that be through spiritual support. Um, but the other important aspect is also for somebody to know how to get in touch with resources that will be helpful and not harmful or hurtful, Um, or not appropriate. Mm -hmm. So that could be through a hospital. Many hospitals have bereavement groups. Um, Many hospitals have um, access to other local community grief resources, grief counselors, therapists, um, programs. Okay. Yeah. I just want to be sure that we are giving people direction if they feel lost or stuck and they don't have a village or right. There's also a huge rise in grief support groups on the internet, but I, I want to say to tread carefully on those because you can get wrapped up in other people's grief mm-hmm. and not constructively work on your own. Yeah. And, and right now too, thanks to COVID, I think um, online therapy has become a much bigger thing, a much more common practice. And I've said it before on this show, I've been in therapy now since I was pregnant with Benji, um, doing virtual therapy. And it took a bit to find a therapist that really clicked with me. But I think for me, it's been very, very helpful. And um, I highly recommend if someone needs a therapist that they find a therapist. Absolutely. And keep trying. Mm -hmm. Keep trying. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like dating. You got to find somebody who like clicks swipe, with you. Swipe right. They need like a swiping app for therapy. They, do. they also need a swiping app for home health nurses. Um, but yeah, that's another episode. Uh, we have to go. And um, I just need to add one more thing. We are so um, rusty at this. Diane, your microphone's backwards. I think it's usually like that. 
No, it's not. Your microphone's backwards. No, oh, it's fine. You guys can tell me, right? <laughs> I'm sitting in my room. What do you okay, expect? Guys. <laughs> okay, guys. Wait, we will, Susan. Um, since yeah. you're kind of our kind of our guest and you're our guest, what gives you hope today? What gives me hope? Way to go full circle on me. Um, what gives me hope changes all the time. Um, right now in this chapter on this page, what gives me hope are the hummingbirds and the butterflies and the rainbows and the people sending me pictures saying, I saw a hummingbird or I saw a rainbow. Um, because right now what gives me hope is feeling like Lorelai is still close to me. That's beautiful. And now I'm welling up. This is how we get people at the end of every episode. What gives you hope? Go ahead. Start crying. So good. Whew. Okay. We love you. Okay, guys. Thanks for Thank being you, here. Anne. Thank you, guys. Take care. So there you have it. Another episode about grief. <laughs> I hope you guys don't mind. I promise this is the last one for a little bit. I feel like I need something witty to wrap up with but I just don't have it my brain is tired and I'm I'm recording this conclusion like two weeks after we had this interview so my brain is still tired and it will probably be tired for a very long time you get what you get right now guys come back next week we are gonna get back on track with our regularly scheduled content next week you'll meet mom Leah Leah is a gem and I am so excited for you to meet her. In the meantime, Diane's not here. She's not recording this with me. So I don't know. This is Diane and I'm going to go examine my microphone and make sure that my co-hostess doesn't have to edit out copious amounts of feedback because my microphone was facing the wrong direction. Next time, (laughs) I crack myself up and this is Susan and I am going to go have a glass of wine and watch something on Netflix because that's all I really have the bandwidth to do. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort, and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.